Welcome to the Forbidden Forest. This is Ro reading chapter 26 of the Blood Magic series, Remnants of Cruciatus. July 10th, 2008. Harry had been antsy all day. He had struggled to get up in the morning after a night of dreams of being subjected to the Cruciatus curse. It was amorphous and confusing, but he distinctly heard Bellatrix laughing as she held him down, the pain enveloping his mind, sending lightning through his limbs, down his spine. Just rounds and endless rounds of the cold sound of Crucio on the mouths of people who delighted in his pain. He had tried to shake it off by working in the garden, but his body was stiff and every little ache and pain was a reminder. By midday, he was feeling incredibly raw and frustrated and a little bit scared. He had started fantasizing about ways to stop the pain, and he knew it was only a short moment from there to fantasizing about heroin. He felt his mouth filling with saliva at the thought, his body crumpling a bit, as if to remind him how sweet the release would just be to give in. By dinner, he had snapped at Malfoy four separate times. They had hardly said more than ten words to each other all day, and none of it held the casual familiarity and soft consideration that had become part of their friendship. He had tried to read to keep his mind busy, but it hadn't worked, and he just found himself angrily reading the same sentences over and over again, his mind drifting off to Sirius's room and the gallows and all of the things that had once defined his life and his death. It was as though his hackles were raised and he couldn't bring himself to relax them down. Malfoy had gone to sleep early, probably to avoid Harry's horrible mood, but Harry couldn't stop feeling edgy and like his skin was shivering, even though he was hot all over. It was overwhelming. It was a reminder of all the things he had worked so hard to get away from. He paced back and forth from the kitchen to the little bunk bed in the corner. He was trying to be quiet, not to wake Malfoy, but he desperately didn't want to be alone. He wanted Malfoy to comfort him. He wanted words of wisdom and normalcy and care. He wanted to not feel so alone. He walked over to where Malfoy was snoring softly and gently touched his shoulder. Malfoy, he said, feeling profoundly embarrassed but not knowing what else to do. Hmm? The sound from under the light summer quilt confirmed that Malfoy was indeed awake. Harry took a deep breath, and before he could stop himself, he was frantically rambling. Malfoy, I'm sorry to wake you up. I'm sorry for my shit behavior all day. It's just I'm... I'm struggling with something, and it feels really awful, and I don't know what to do. It's scary. I mean, I feel like I want to use, but the rest of me doesn't want to. I like being sober. I do. I've just... I've been doing so well, and now, all of a sudden, I wake up sore after all these nightmares of Bellatrix hitting me with the Cruciatus curse, and it's been after me all day. It's making me worried, like, maybe I don't have as good a handle on things as I thought I did. Maybe I'm a lot weaker than I thought, or mentally, I'm not going to be able to say no. All of the fears of the whole day came streaming out, and he couldn't help himself. He was worrying his hands and mussing his hair and walking back and forth, and he couldn't believe he was saying all these things. Malfoy rolled over and looked up at him. Harry stopped mid-pace, his face open and full of fear, body full of tension. It's okay, Potter. 
You're okay. This is normal, he said, rubbing sleep from his eyes. How is this normal, Malfoy? I don't feel okay. I feel sick and scared and like I did that first week almost, like my skin is crawling. Harry had stepped forward and he was laying everything on the table. This was it. It was time to be vulnerable. Keeping secrets had nearly killed him and he wanted things to be different this time around. Malfoy looked at him a moment longer, his eyes sleepy but seeming to take in how badly Harry was handling things at the moment. Okay, he said, scooting over and lifting up the quilt. Come on, then. Harry stared at him, but only for a second, before crawling into the warm sheets and letting Malfoy drape his arm over his shoulder so he could rub his back in slow, soothing circles. This left Harry with his head almost laying on Malfoy's chest, his knees curled up against his, one hand draped over his chest. Harry was so grateful for the contact. He felt instantly less raw, less needy, less panicked. Malfoy's hand on his back was a gentle reminder that he was safe and nothing had changed. He was still in Tenebris Hollow, still sober and not in danger of running off to get drugs. He just had to get through this feeling and he would be okay, right? As if reading his thoughts, Malfoy spoke into the mess of hair below his chin. This is completely normal, Potter. I'm surprised it didn't happen sooner, honestly. Recovery isn't linear. You don't just wake up magically cured from addiction. Some days are much harder or worse than others, and some days are easy. Harry took a deep breath in, his exhale sighing out against Malfoy's pajama-covered chest. He knew that, he thought. It was just, it felt distant and unreal until the words had come out of someone else's mouth. Will it always be this hard? Harry asked, his voice small and his normally self-assured personality hidden beneath his uncertainty for the future. Malfoy paused a moment in his gentle rubbing and thought, I don't know, he said finally, but even if it is, I know you can handle it. Harry considered this answer. It was kind of Malfoy not to lie to him and tell him it was all easier from here on out. The honesty of the first half of his answer made Harry feel like he could believe the second half. His mind quieted at that, and Harry let himself relax down against the soft mattress. I don't know how I'm going to handle things outside of the forest. What if I can't go back to my old life at all? Harry voiced the thought that had been haunting him for some time now, but he hadn't wanted to engage with. You will make the changes you need to make. You'll adjust your life so it fits you, not the other way around. You don't need to do anything, Potter. You don't need to prove anything. You don't owe anyone anything. Don't you think it's about time you started putting your own happiness first? Mm, Harry groaned, really not liking the idea of having to do all of that on his own back in the real world. Oh, stop worrying for now. I'm not handing you over to the wolves just yet, Malfoy said, his voice oddly protective and caring. Harry smiled, despite himself. It felt nice to be the one taken care of for once, and he was thankful he could tell Malfoy these things, that they could be honest with one another. He closed his eyes and breathed in, letting his mind just focus on the slow circles that Malfoy formed against the space between his shoulders. 
The tightness that had followed him all day was leaving and being slowly replaced by a thick sense of exhaustion. It wasn't long before he had drifted off to sleep altogether. So I feel like this is a really good example of that recovery isn't linear. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I mean something that Draco says specifically and telling him. It's something that I say. Yeah. It's one of specifically, my many times. favorite recovery sayings because mm. it's so true. Yeah. And we've talked about it a bit before because yeah. it, it said mm-hmm. a bit earlier as well. Yeah. I think it's like easy to make the false assumption that when somebody starts doing well, it's just going to be an upward trend. Like, mm. constantly, you know, like, in the last few chapters, like, Harry's been doing, like, so much better and, like, really coming into his own and, like, developing, you know, coping skills and really confronting a lot of his problems. And, and you know, you have bad days. Yeah. Everyone has bad days. Yeah. That's another thing is, like, it's just your bad days might be tinged with something, like, the way that you are when you're stressed. Yeah. I think I find thinking of it like that really helpful Mm. Um, because like a feeling of like craving or wanting to engage in behaviors from Mm. your previous before recovery life means that like you want to escape, you're stressed, something is eating at you Mm. and you want to avoid it and you want to avoid it in a way that you have learned you can. Yeah. And that always tells me that there's something bothering me Yeah. and that, you know, it's worth taking a moment to be like, what is bothering me? Yeah. So obviously in this chapter, it's his dream. And then like the physical reminder of pain. Yeah. Um, which I think is a really common thing for people who have struggled with opiate addiction. Yeah. Because pain, obviously, it's noxious. It's mm. unpleasant. It's, I mean, it's pain. So knowing that you have such an easy escape from that yeah is very tempting well yeah it's tempting and it's like it would be so much easier Mm. um and then that feeling in itself becomes scary yeah because you're like wait but i was doing so well yeah i had everything together this you know why do i feel like it's day one of recovery again yeah and i think that's a really common experience Mm. I find it really interesting that after this dream that he has, he spends a whole day avoiding it mm-hmm. and trying to think about literally anything else yep. and being like, I do not want to engage with how uncomfortable that is until he finally snaps and decides to go the other way and yeah. be vulnerable. Yeah, he tries gardening. He tries physical work. He tries pacing. He tries everything. Um, and then you can see he like flips and tries addressing it yeah reaching out reaching out not feeling alone Mm -hmm. um and honesty about what he's feeling and all of those things being very clear to draco what's happening even though draco's asleep yeah i mean he's like and he's like half asleep like what harry's been (laughs) rude to him all day yeah he's been like super unpleasant but because harry is so clear about how distressed he is and clear about why 
which I wanted to make specific and explicit because if, if you're not clear about why mm. the person who's trying to support you is not, they can't do telepathy. Like yeah. they don't just read your mind. Yeah, exactly. Like and, if you're being unpleasant and surly all day, how is this other person going to know what you're struggling with and how to help? Right. They may know that you are struggling <clears throat> with something, but yeah. unless you take ownership of that, unless yeah. you're clear and say, look, I had horrible dreams and I feel terrible yeah. and I, I, you know, am, am feeling really unsteady in my recovery. Unless you say those things, like, how do you expect anyone to be able to respond yeah. to you? And then because he's very clear about that, Draco is like, cool, you need support and comfort. Just get in bed. Like, you yeah. just want, like, you know, to not feel alone. Yeah. Draco's like literally half asleep, like, shh, 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 <laughs> yeah. shh. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's interesting because like bed and like being warm and safe in mm. bed is like such a I feel like that's a very universal like you mm. know you are comforted you are safe and you're if you're laying across from someone you're very much not alone you're in this very yeah. small physical space with someone and I you know I think we just imagine so easily how comforting that would be yeah definitely and I think um it's important to point out too that like Harry has been apart from other humans and alone and separated for so long. Yeah. That and people do or can get very touch starved. Yeah. And very like, you know, reliant on this idea that like they need human touch yeah. and to be close to someone or next to someone, yeah. even in like a very non sexual way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think we just sort of like sort of snowballed into this idea of like, you know, wanting human presence as yeah, comfort. Definitely. And especially with somebody like Harry who grew up with the Dursleys and definitely didn't have like very physical friendships either. Definitely you know? not. I mean, there was not a lot of like hugging and snuggling with Ron and Hermione, no, you know? Like not at all. Um and he pretty much went his entire life being really touch starved without a problem but probably not really noticing it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Or I being think able that's to true, identify true it. for a lot of people. Yeah. Actually, um, until they suddenly realize it one day that, like, you know, human touch and connectedness is something that, like, really speaks to their sense of safety and comfort. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And, like, particularly emotional and psychological calming and sense of well-being. Mm. Um, people could get really, de- like, distressed mm. being isolated. Yeah. Which is an interesting segue into talking about people's mental health during quarantine. Yeah. Um, because I think that's like a huge thing that so many people can identify with around the world at the yeah. moment. Being separated, isolated, you know, not being able to hug your partner or your kids or, mm. you know, just even holding hands. We saw yeah. someone holding hands today and it's the first time I've seen someone holding hands in, Out in public, weeks. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of, you know, uh, essential workers at the moment are isolating from their families yeah. or if people are ill, they're isolating from their families. It's really difficult to feel vulnerable and scared and not being able to touch someone. Yeah, it's a really, really tough thing. Yeah, I think that it's like a really interesting thing to dissect. Yeah, and especially apt at the moment. Mm. I mean, who knows who will be listening to this in the future mm. if we've made it past coronavirus times <laughs> as a society. <laughs> Um, but I mean, yeah. this is sort of like a worldwide phenomenon that yeah. everyone is experiencing at the moment. I mean, we're outside of the U.S. and Europe and Asia even, and mm. we are also experiencing quarantine. Yeah. And even living in like a small town, 
Yeah, mm. exactly. And just, you know, social distancing and mm. it's had a huge impact on people's mental health. Yeah. And I think the fallout from the, the that side will continue who knows how long, mm. you know. But it's sort of a lesser seen impact of the pandemic. Mm. I mean, not to be dark, but I think today I saw those huge spike in suicides in yeah. Queens. And there's the suicide of that New York City doctor. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that's a trend that's replicated around the world yeah, in places sure. that are incredibly stressed with um, physical illness, mm. like mental health following very quickly along. Yeah, definitely. Um, Sorry to be dark. On no, the chapter. it's fine. <laughs> um, we were doing so well being up- uplifting, <laughs> and I just sort of <laughs> realityed all over it. <laughs> Sorry, I know this is everyone's escapism. Yeah. We shouldn't be talking too much real-world stuff. Um, I mean, 20-some chapters in is all we've been doing. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Um, so I had another thought about, um, again, seeing Draco from Harry's perspective. He's seen glimpses of the flailing mm-hmm. behind the mask. And in this scene, I find it really interesting how like together Draco seems about it Mm. um and obviously we'll see what his reaction is to this in the next chapter but I find it just like so fascinating that like in a moment of like needed crisis he's got his shit together yeah especially when you think about how we've discussed his incredible discomfort with people being around him while he sleeps and even in his bed with him yeah yeah that's a I think it's sort of like we were talking about the other day where um, you almost forget about your trauma sometimes. Mm. Like it, like in this moment, he's half asleep. Yeah. And someone he is friends with needs him for something. Yeah, yeah. So it just sort of seems totally natural. Yeah, exactly. And it's and it's a very non-threatening situation for both of them. They've, they've you know worked on and and garnered some kind of trust between mm. them, and and built this dialogue up and built this sense of connectedness and have had moments where they're they're solidifying. Yeah. It. So now it seems very normal and safe that mm-hmm. he would be able to comfort him. Yeah. But that doesn't mean his anxiety about it has disappeared. No, exactly. Yeah, it's just waiting in the wings. Yeah. <laughs> we'll figure... We'll talk about that later. <laughs> but I... Yeah, I just find it, like, very... I think it's, like, a very specific experience because I think it, it can be common with people who carry a lot of trauma to have these moments of reprieve of not yeah. thinking about it. Like, you've mentioned a few chapters ago, like, you have moments... Of like feeling totally normal, totally normal until reality creeps back in, and it's just like, ha ha ha! Did you forget about all that PTSD? <laughs> Here it is. Here it is. I brought it up to the forefront of your mind for you. Isn't that useful? Have fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was very interesting. Do you remember your reaction to me writing this chapter and sending it to you? Yeah, I was horrified. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember Completely that. Horrifying. I remember that specifically. I said, which becomes very clear in my response chapter. <laughs> yeah, you were horrified, but you totally agreed to it. I mean, you so mirrored yeah. exactly what he's doing. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, it's. It I mean, I've obviously. Perfect. Yeah, I obviously haven't done this exact same thing, but I've done things very similar. And then the fallout from it of like you know the PTSD being served on a silver platter to the forefront of your mind when everything settles when like, you're conscious again. Yeah, exactly. When you're Great. conscious again, <laughs> like cool. <laughs> let's uh, let's unpack all of this. Or 
Or, or not. Or not. Or just... Or fucking put it in a box. Or flee. Or flee. Those mm-hmm. are your options. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I really related to that because, you know, being able to be, like, competent and confident and, like, capable. And then all of your trauma catches up with you later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's very you, though. In the moment, you're very capable. Mm. And then five days later, yeah, it's like, what happened? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I find that in so many aspects Spheres. of my life, too. Yeah. Even with work, you know, dealing with, like, emergencies at work and being totally capable mm-hmm. and doing it. And then five days later being like, what the fuck did I just do? <laughs> I am not capable. I am not capable. I need to sleep for a week. That was horrible. I need to call my therapist. Yeah. (laughs) Whereas I very much don't have that reaction at all. Mm. I think I improve over time. (laughs) It ages well. It ages well. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. I think that's just the specifics of like the the two of us and how we've always coped. Mm. And just to show, like, how different people cope. Like, the spectrum is so vast. Yeah, people cope in any way. Mm. Like, any way that increases someone's ability to survive from one day to the next will be their coping mechanism. Yeah. Like, whatever's accessible, whatever they're capable of doing, Mm. that will be the thing. Yeah. And that's totally fine. Mm. I mean, unless you're coping by, like, drowning in drugs and alcohol. Yeah. That doesn't increase your survivability, really, Mm. so... Yeah, then you have to address the the poor coping. Yeah, maybe don't do that. Maybe don't do that. Fleeing is also <laughs> not, not ideal. Great. Yeah, but it's a it's coping. Not awful. Method. Okay, it's a coping method. Sometimes it serves me well. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. It's like a coin toss. Sometimes it's appropriate. Sometimes it's wildly unexpected. We <laughs> keep it on our toes. Oh, there she goes again. There she goes. <laughs> oh my god. Can you not? I look, you have been very brutal to me through You brought up my hoarding. <laughs> I can see how I'll be paying for that for like so many chapters. Months. Well well beyond Well beyond the, the podcast. podcast. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> I've made a grave mistake. <laughs> one regret. <laughs> yeah, I have one serious regret and it's writing a fic with you <laughs> just kidding it was a wonderful decision i would never say that oh my god i don't regret it at all i think it's so funny we're still ruminating on this same work that mm. we did yeah that we started it's because it's so like, impactful two years ago. to both of us yeah and it remains impactful i think it's because recovery like we've mentioned before a, it's not linear. B, it's, it, so it's fucking ongoing. Slow it's also. slow and it's ongoing. So, I mean, like, we're going to be working on our own forms of recovery in our own ways in bits and pieces or large chunks for, like, the foreseeable future. Yeah, until I die. Yeah, right. until the day I fucking die. I'll be... Which is a very exhausting thought, yeah. but supposedly it gets easier. So, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Just give some uplifting messages to our listeners. We're all doomed and existence is exhausting. Yeah. Being in recovery is horrible. It's never ending. 
Just kidding. It's not. It's great. Recovery is a beautiful thing. It's wonderful. Being in recovery builds resilience. And resilience makes you more capable. Mm. And brings you things like confidence and self-assuredness. And like a deep sense of pride in your own capabilities. And that's beautiful and valuable. It's just... Mm. But I think it's super valid to acknowledge that it's fucking exhausting. Of course, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. exhausting, it's yeah. tiring, it's yeah. hard work. And yeah. some days you wake up and you're like, fuck, I'm still doing this. <laughs> and I will be friends. Oh, God. Like, that's totally okay. We can acknowledge that yes. and then shake it out and move on. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I just did. <laughs> but also, we have a lot of dark humor as, yeah, like, do. coping. Definitely. That's definitely a coping thing yeah. that we do. If I didn't have that... <laughs> You wouldn't be very really funny. <laughs> My entire sense of humor is three movies and dark humor. That's it. That's it. You've only made like three jokes in, in your my whole entire life. life. I don't make jokes. And one of them was I... so shocking I had to stop the car. Yeah. Like I, I was driving and I had to pull over and stop the car. It was so shocking. I was like, you made a joke and it was funny. It landed like it was well-timed. This has never happened before. Oh my God. It was amazing. You're painting a very excellent picture of me right now. <laughs> Not embarrassing at all. <laughs> Should we talk about the hoarding again? Oh my god! Sorry. <laughs> Just putting it out there in the oh universe. My god. Maybe you'll deal with it if we oh, talk sweet about it. Lord. <laughs> at this very public platform. Yeah, right? <laughs> what kind of weird accountability is this? Jesus. Shameful accountability? Does that work? That definitely doesn't work. Don't try it. I'm very sorry. I, I have one regret. <laughs> the regrets are piling up. They're all the oh same. Oh, my God. We've <laughs> come full circle. <laughs> anyway. You're very funny. <laughs> Just, you don't always, like, have that sort of, like, stage humor. When no, you, like, not at all. make a timed joke. No, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how anyone does that. I know. You how did does it, anyone do that? You did it, like, three times <laughs> in your whole life. I've been very proud of no, you. No, you've been, like, marking tallies every time I do it. No, I... And I every, never do it intentionally. It no. just happens. Yeah, well... It's an accident. <laughs> yeah, but I still feel like it. it's <laughs> worth acknowledging. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, every time I feel like I've been driving all three times, and I always it's always when you call me from work, like on your way home from work. Oh yeah, Yeah. oh that's true. And then I'm driving by myself, and I like swerve wildly (laughs) because I'm laughing so hard. (laughs) Really responsible. That's really good. Risk reduction. reduction. Danger is that thing. Danger snakes. Mm -hmm. Snakes and danger. That's my whole personality. Yeah. And fire. Yeah. Like axes. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and breaking everything oh, I touch. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not stay out of the kitchen. <laughs> I feel like I have to stay out of shops. Yeah. Like I have to stay out of you everywhere. You stay in your chair at the kitchen table. It's safe there. It's, my it's, it's like cushioned to protect you it's and a other cushioned things. Cage. Yeah, it's a cushioned cage to keep you and the house safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's not talk about it. That's one of those. You have one regret now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it up, you break everything. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Okay. Are okay. we are we done talking yeah. about the chapter? I think we're done. I feel like mo- the chapters <clears throat> now have been way more discussion than fic. Mm. Is that fine? 
I guess so. I don't know. Do you, you guys tell us. People will care that it's mostly just no, us hazing each other. No, everyone listening. No, nobody's yeah, yeah. listening anymore. Yeah, I feel like in part No, one. they've skipped to the next chapter. It doesn't matter what we say at this point. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good call. They were like, oh my god, these two. Yeah. They're so sick of it. Oh, lesbians. <laughs> we're not lesbians, by the way. I know I make a lot of lesbian jokes, but we're not lesbians. So, um... Just keep that mystery in your back pocket. (laughs) We'll just go with queer. Yeah. (laughs) That's a safe one. We have a lot of denim. Still not... I'm wearing a denim shirt, right? Still not lesbians. Hmm. (laughs) Which shocks everyone. Literally everyone. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. So... Some other time, we'll talk about <laughs> queer people writing queer stories. Yeah, which was a request that we got from the Facebook page. Yeah. And we have acknowledged it, and now we have to think of something educational and profound to say about it. <laughs> do we have to do that? I feel like... No, it'll just be me flailing about being queer. I don't know. Okay. We did uh, talk about it a little already, but not mm-hmm. in any real way. Yeah. We'll have to think of. Yeah, I think we'll we'll bring it up when it's a little more appropriate with some of our subject matter, which will, will actually probably be pretty quickly in the next few chapters. Mm, quintessence. Mm, is quintessence up. is coming up. One of my favorite chapters that Roe has ever written, <laughs> which is based on a real book or yeah, play. Um, but we'll get there. Okay. Don't okay, give it away. Okay. Okay. Get okay. ready for quintessence. Yeah. That's that good shit. It is that good shit. Yeah. Are we, have we said that every chapter? I think so. <laughs> it's like three in a row. It's my aesthetic. <laughs> That's yeah. that good shit. It's like my tagline. <laughs> Your tagline is just, I have one rigor. <laughs> and it's just you. I am my own rigor. No, all of my, my life choices. No, it's just my tagline. I have one rigor, and then it's a picture of you. Oh my god. I'm so sorry. <laughs> What the hell? I didn't mean that at all. I didn't. I didn't. Now you have many regrets. (laughs) So many. Oh my god. (sighs) Anyway. Yeah, let's move on. Moving swiftly on. We we can only ruin this so many times. (laughs) Just just cut off the sound. Just cut us off. Gotta go. See you guys next time. Yeah, next time. Mm hmm.